Alrighty, alrighty. Um, so I, I admit I don't I don't know how to pronounce your full name, so I'm gonna let you do that. But okay. this is this is sipping slow with Joe. Um, I have my sip. Oh, you have your sip. What are you sipping here? What is that? What I you said sipping? I'm sipping on a margarita. Margarita. Okay. And it, and it is birthday month for you, so you know, hey Virgo. <laughs> and it's a big birthday too, turning forty. Ooh, I'm I'm there. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. So I'm super excited. I'm ready. I'm super excited. So how does this work though? Like, you just ask me some questions, or do you want it to be more like a conversation? What's your preference? So, so it's going to turn into a conversation. I do have some questions for you because, you know, uh, the, the audience doesn't know how I know you. Uh, okay. But I, I, I will establish that when it's time for that. We may not get to that today because I want to know you know you. So I got to go back. I got to go back to the roots, you know, get real uncomfortable. But I always preface it with this. I don't post anything that hasn't been green lighted by you, meaning I will send you the raw cast. You tell me what needs to be cut out. If we go too deep, you don't want to do that. I can edit it like it's just a you know a genuine conversation. Um, um, I won't. I whatever I say, and it, this is consistent. Whatever I say, I'm okay with it being out there. So okay. I wouldn't, yeah. So all right, you got me. I'm ready and focused. All right, let me pay the bills. This is sipping slow with Joe. Uh, it's brought to you by the Anchor app. When I'm talking about the Anchor app, I'm talking about a simple way to make podcasts, people. I uh, began this in May of 2020, this year, May 9th. And since the start of it, we've seen steady growth, reaching over 380 people. Now, um, the more consistent you are with it, the better it works. Uh, thanks to the folks at Anchor for making a super simple way for me to bring a podcast. And uh, more importantly, thanks to you, the listeners, who have uh, given me now an income uh, just by talking. So um, I just, I, I really, really want to stress that if you're interested at all in podcasting, uh, that you try the Anchor app. Also, the good folks at the Coffee G uh, for the non-coffee drinker. I have with me, Miss, I have with me Dr. Linnell Plummer. What's the last name? Marcano, Linnell Plummer Marcano. I got you. I got you. Um, I, before I tell you how I know uh, Dr. Plummer Marcano, um, I want her to tell us uh, where she came from. Uh, where were you born? Okay. Um, I was born in Los Angeles, California. I'm a Cali girl to the heart. Okay. All right. Uh, what part? South Central LA. And then I um, moved in middle school, that middle school time frame out to, uh, well, actually elementary school, to the Inland Empire. So shout out to everybody that's listening from San Bernardino and Riverside and Marino Valley. I'm repping all of y'all today too. Wow, okay. All right, so uh, did, did that come in the, that in the, you said in the middle school time period. So you went to the same elementary school for all six years? Well, it actually, when I realized it, when I answered it, it actually happened in, um, in elementary school. My mom made the decision when I was in elementary school to move out to um, San Bernardino. I guess she had her own reasons or whatever. And then we ended up having 
um, some aunts and cousins that were living out there and later some more family members. So we ended up having family in LA and family in the IE as well. All right, and did you have any siblings at the time period? I didn't, I'm my mom's only child, um, which is a blessing if we end up talking about that. <laughs> but I'm her only child. And then my father has um, two biological children and then I have an adopted sister. So we're a total of four, um, but my mom's only and my dad's four and I'm the oldest for the four. Okay, and at the time period where you're in California and you're transitioning uh, places, is, is dad in the picture or? He's not, you know what's crazy, and I'm gonna relax a little bit. I know this is um, a sip and talk kind of situation, but um, he actually, the, the way they tell me that it happened is that the, my parents were in love. Um, they met in Job Corps because both of them lived in South Central LA and um, they were divided by the gangs. And so there was one street in particular that divided one gang from the other gang. And so they didn't really cross the street. Isn't that crazy? Mm. So they went to, they ended up actually meeting in, in Astoria, Oregon. They both decided to go to Job Corps. Um, and then they met and they realized that they grew up around the corner from each other, but because of the gangs, they couldn't really meet. They fell in love with each other, eventually came back to California, uh-huh. Uh, moved around a little bit and um yeah and so then they then my dad decided there was a lot there's a whole long story I don't know if you want all that story <laughs> Joy, but there's a whole long story um about the fact that they made that they wanted to leave LA because it wasn't safe anymore uh-huh. and they weren't really benefiting from being there um and so my dad joined the army and okay so, was pregnant my dad joined the army and they say that he came back and visited in between boot camp and AIT and things like that but and he recalls stories of me when I was small but I don't recall stories of him so and that and the therapist in me wants to highlight the fact that um our first memories are usually around three and four years old and so after about two I didn't see him for a number of years Mm-hmm. Um, and I first recall meeting him when I was probably about seven or eight. Okay. Um, but he, yeah, he's my he's my guy now. No, I love him when I, from the the moment I remember meeting him. Yeah. Um, and even before that, he's my guy. Okay. All right. So so we're we're on your uh, your your junior high journey at this time. Uh, what what kind of I, I want to get a sense of what kind of person you were. Uh, if you remember your middle school, you if you can go back and and give me kind of who you are at that time period. Well, I think before we even, because I'm going to be completely transparent with you, right? Um, I think before we even get into middle school, we have to talk about elementary school and before that. Okay. And I grew up, like I said, in Southern California um, during the during the, the drug years, right? I'll be right. 40 uh, next week. And so I, I was born in the 80s, 1980 to be uh, exact. And um, drugs were prevalent and my family were, was like many other families in the neighborhood, you know, black, black families. Um, at that point, a lot of us were in poverty, had a lot of different um, adverse child experiences, was living with a lot of trauma. And so a lot of people, including my mother, turned to substances. At the time, it was crack cocaine. Um, and so I grew up with a mother that was addicted to crack and a father that was out in the military. 
And so um, I had a strong support in terms of my grandmother, but mm-hmm. um, but most of my family had kind of gotten caught up in that in that era and those substances, trying to escape some of the realities that they had. And so my elementary school years were were extremely important because my escape was school and. Okay. I, you know, that's where I thrived, right? I didn't have to worry about trauma. I didn't have to worry about, you know, my mom. I didn't have to worry about neighbors. I didn't have to worry about, you know, violence. A school was safe. And because I had, um, the story is, is that I taught myself to read. I'm not sure. I don't recall that, but that's what they tell me. And, uh, and so school was an escape for me because um, that's where the library was and that's where the teachers were and that's where, you know, the books were. And so by the time I got to middle school, I was super, you know, nerdy and all that kind of stuff and definitely thriving in middle school. Okay. Um, I, I just want to, I want to revisit real quick. Uh, you, you, you say school was where it was kind of like your safe haven. Uh, yeah. do you, do you, can you remember or recall the age you were when you realized that you you know, there was addiction around you or that, that your mother had a problem with addiction at all? Oh, Joey, I was a youngin. Um, I, uh, my earliest childhood memories was my mom using drugs. So I don't, I don't recall times of which in that childhood where she wasn't using drugs. Um, okay. I don't, I, the, the interesting thing is, is I didn't think it was abnormal because all my friends' moms were using drugs. Right. So, right. you know, like that was kind of some of our um, childhood games, you know, and it's sad, you know, now that I'm an adult and I think about it, now that I'm a therapist and I think about it, you know, having, um, where, where some kids are playing cops and robbers are playing with Barbies, of which I have plenty also, um, later on, we were playing, you know, drug dealer and fiend, you know what I mean? Like, that's what we knew. And so we, that, that was our reality. So I didn't, I knew early that she used drugs, but I didn't know it was wrong. I didn't know it was bad. Um, so, yeah. Okay. All right. And, and I know we got into, you touched on it, like that brought you into middle school where you're super nerdy, super into books. Uh, super into school. Uh, yeah. was, there, was there any other characteristics of, of, of Linnell at that time period? I mean, I think I'm probably the same person I was back then that I am now. <laughs> okay. So very outspoken, okay. um, very, you know, opinionated. Right. Um, my report cards always said I talk too much in class, but <laughs> now, I, now I get paid to talk. So I guess okay. it works out for all, for all the little kids that's getting talked too much on their report card. Honey, don't worry about it. You'll figure it out as you get older. <laughs> um, but uh, the same, the same way. I'm, I'm the same way. So very giving, very loving, very honest, very transparent. Um, probably loving and forgiving to a fault. So okay. that then brought me to some places in middle school where I, my identity was tested as a person, and that's the time where you know you're getting recruited to be in the games and all that right, kind of right. stuff. And um, and I never really fit into the games. I wanted to. Um, sadly, now that I think about it, I'm like, that's sad, but I wanted to because that's where community was, right? And that's where um, there was relatability. But I just, you know, Joey, I, I just wasn't a thug, you know what I mean? I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I yeah. tried to steal and I got caught. I tried to ditch and I got caught. And then, of course, the teachers are like, what are you doing? And I just told them, you know, I'm, I'm ditching, you know? 
And they were like, okay, you can't do that anymore. And I was like, okay, so I never did it again. So, you know, the thug life didn't work out for me. I keep telling people I'm a thug, but I'm not. I, and, and and so I, I I understand that you're you you have a mother going through her own addiction problem. Uh, you seem to be pretty self sufficient, like you said. You you hug the books and and hug school. Kind of there was never any brush ups with you and mom. Like there was no uh, you know where she had to be that stern disciplinarian kind of get you on the right track. Any of that? Well, there were times where she had to do that, um, but, but very rarely. My parents will say, similar to what my teacher said at the time, which was that they would just have to say something to me one time, and I kind of got it underway from there. Uh, so maybe she had to say something to me because she was talking to me and I was reading a book instead of listening, or I didn't wash the dishes with Christine, she was really, once she, once she experienced uh, sobriety, she was really pristine about, uh, based on things that she had grown up with, right? And so like real black standards around like cleanliness is next to godliness and all of that. Um, and, and all of that good stuff. And so I got in trouble in those regards, but I never got in trouble with like grades or boys i think maybe in high school my dad had to say so he grounded me because he didn't like who i was i wasn't supposed to date and so he got mad at where, me. Where, where did you go to high school ah so i left um california right before high school and okay. i went to seoul korea my dad again was a military guy a soldier a veteran and uh he's a veteran now and so i went to high school in mililani i actually moved with my who, who i referred to as my stepmom um, because my dad was at on um, what we call the DMZ, so he was uh, a few, just a few miles south of North Korea, and we could take children and things there because it, they served as a distraction in case North Korea invaded South Korea. So I was there in Seoul with my stepmom and and my sister, um, who my dad adopted, and um, and then then we eventually then then they broke up. And then it was just me and my dad. So I give credit to my dad for being a single, um, a single father. Mm-hmm. And he raised me for the rest of those years. So for, for freshman year forward, um, part of freshman year forward, he raised me. And I think he's still raising me, you know? I, I still need my dad. Um, and then I graduated. We moved to, Mil- to Mililani, Hawaii. He was stationed at Schofield Barracks. And I graduated high school in Mililani. And, uh, but at 11, when I was in elementary school, getting ready to go to middle school, I had made the decision to come to Howard. And that was his whole own story, but um, I made the decision to attend Howard. And so from 11 years old to 17 years old, I was clear tracked on, um, on getting to the Mecca. And that's what brought me to DC. Okay, all right. And so in high school, though, you were part of like an ROTC program or something? Like- I, um, I wasn't. You know, that wasn't my thing. Interestingly enough, my dad absolutely 100% did not want me to join the military. He thought that <laughs> um, he thought that it was that my personality um, yeah. was not aligned with the military and not the military values, but the military structure, because like I said, I'm opinionated. Right, right. And, and I am uh, extremely, I recognize now as I'm getting close to 40, I'm extremely powerful. And, and I didn't know that when I was younger, but he saw it and he was like, now the military isn't for you. 
So it ended up transitioning for me because I did ROTC at col in college at Howard. What, um, what transpired is that um, I wanted a scholarship. Uh, I had a scholarship, a partial scholarship for my freshman year, but I wanted more money. Okay. And the ROTC program offered me more money. Now that I'm sitting here talking to you about it, this is my first time thinking about it in a long time. I can remember the steps that I took, right. but um, I eventually got an, an ROTC scholarship and I joined the ROTC program um, the summer between my sophomore year and my junior year. Okay. All right. And and you're attending and Howard. <laughs> so so I can tell you the the uh the freshman that that I encountered uh when I met you. Uh and 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 it was very like bright-eyed and 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 just you just wanted knowledge. I I remember going to New York with you uh and <laughs> And for those listening, I I no, I I didn't date uh, Dr. Plummer uh, Marcano. I, I I she she was seeing my cousin at the time, and we were in New York. And, yes. And I remember you wanted to do every single thing. There was nothing on your list that you did not want to do. But but it's it was like you researched it. You knew exactly <laughs> when. <laughs> And, and and I and 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 that was my like my first impression. I you know I I had never met you before, and, and we were in New York, and you wanted to see everything you could, and uh, I I think that thirst for life, like that thirst for life, never ever left you at all. But I want you to tell the the folks uh, what kind of uh, person came to Howard University. Where, where were you at that point? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um... I, I do 100% believe that who we are as people is a reflection of who our parents are. So some of our strengths come from them and some of our challenges come from them. Right. Um, when, remember I said my, my daddy uh, entered my life based on my recollect, recollection when I was a, a younger kid and he would give me Barbies, black Barbies and black dolls. And he would give me black books. And he, this again was in the, um, in the 80s and eventually in the 90s, the early 90s. And so he made me look at life differently. So I'm reading all the textbooks about, you know, all the books about history. Meanwhile, because I was an advanced reader, my dad is sending me books that teenagers and young adults are reading around blackness and black history. And he um, really aspired to have a life similar or have an experience similar to that of um, Brother Malcolm X. And so from there, um, I was revolutionized. And so I was in high school, you know, throwing the fist and, you know, what's up? And I was in high school um, making my teachers uncomfortable, challenging their version of history, right? The history that was taught to them. And okay. I was in high school using content that was um, designed for people that was that were more developmentally advanced than me, but using that in conversation with my teachers. And so I was a kid who got great grades, who, like I said, was told that I spoke, you know, I, I, I talked too much and I did all of this and that, but I, um, but I, but I was comfortable with that. I've always been comfortable challenging people's comfort, which is probably what helps to make me a great therapist because my, um, 
I'm okay with people being uncomfortable as long as they get something out at the end, right? As long as they, because change only comes when we're uncomfortable. If we're comfortable yeah. and complacent, we're never gonna change. Right. So what entered Howard was, yes, this young woman who was curious about life and um, I've had some experiences. I, nobody could tell me that I wasn't um, well-versed and cultured, right? Because I lived in Korea and I lived in Hawaii and I lived in California. I've been to those three places and I thought I knew everything, Joey. Yeah. I thought I was everything. Um, but I was ready, like you said, thirsty for knowledge, thirsty right. for the information. Um, and then, yeah, I met um, freshman week. I met um, Bradshaw, your cousin, and we just kind of hit it off. Uh, he, he's an extremely intellectual man. Um, right. At the time, a young man, because he was only 18, uh, just barely 18. And, and we would have like the deepest kind of conversations that were atypical for our age group, where most of um, our friends are out going to the clubs. And we did those things and partying. We were also sitting um, in front of Founders Library, having conversations, you know, debating um, authors, debating theories, uh, engaging in, in conversations about economics and, and presentation and how that, like clothing presentation and how that impacts how people interact with you. And, and, and it was stimulating. And, and so then, yeah. And so when he said, hey, I want to take you to my folks, I said, all right, Slim. And uh, <laughs> that's when I met you. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it. I just want to make sure that we laid the the foundation for what was to come. Um, yeah. I, what what year did you graduate, Howard? I graduated Howard twice. In two thousand and two is my okay. uh, bachelor's degree, uh, and in two thousand and six is my uh, graduate degree, my master's. Oh, all right. So, so here's something that's not common to me. And, and this stick, stick, sticks in my mind. Both of you became homeowners uh, at very young ages, in my opinion. Like, yeah. I, 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 you had to be like 23? Who were you, 22, 23? I was, I was 22 years old mm. when I bought my house. Um, and, and I was clear 100% motivated by him. Yeah. Um, but I was... He, he bought in February and this is this is an important place to know I am I am clearly married to someone else but who you date as a young person 100% influences elements of your life right okay and because because where I had a lot of strength in being driven academically he had a lot of strength around economic development and so he bought in February and then I bought later in that December um, because the property value was really good because um, the, the environment was great. And because if we're going to, again, be completely transparent, I was pregnant and I wanted my, my child who eventually is now my daughter to um, grow up in a house because that's not what my experiences were. You know, like I mentioned, my mom, um, had her experiences with substances and um, and my dad wasn't there and I thought that home ownership created some level of stability and uh, and so I bought a house so yeah I was 22 um, and bought a house bought my first house that I still own today yeah oh, wow and so and so then we're talking about your daughter uh, she's born 
in at, at you're 23 or 24 at that point? I, I, I was 23. I was 23 when she was born. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy, um, what's crazy is that um, Alyssa was a planned birth and we didn't talk about that much with the family, but my, my uh, maternal side suffers from or deals with um, women's health issues like right. a lot of fibroids and cysts and um, that ends up resulting in partial hysterectomy and full hysterectomy. So my mom was um, just coming out of her experiences with, with substance when she had a partial hysterectomy. And so she was probably in her late twenties or early thirties. And, um, and my grandmother had a hysterectomy and my aunts had hysterectomies. And, you know, even today, my first cousins, um, don't really have children. And so I knew that if I wanted children, I was going to have to have them early. Mm -hmm. And so it was a conversation that Bracha and I had. We didn't have it with, uh, I referred to the family, but we didn't have it with the family because uh, we were young and people were not going to be supportive of that. Right. Um, but, uh, but it was a decision that we made and one that, I, that neither of us regret. Our daughter now is 16 years old and she's taller than me and she looks like him and she's, you know, strong and powerful like me and she's beautiful and, and, um, and, and determined like him. Okay. All right. So you said you went and graduated from Howard twice. What was the second time? What year? 2006. Uh, so my daughter at the time, she was only two years old and uh, she had just turned two. And then later that year, I, um, I found out I was pregnant with my son. And so he was not planned. And that's how he moves around life, like a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, I assume, well, see, I know I have knowledge, but your, your son is not planned. And this is also with my cousin Bradshaw, right? Yes, uh, of okay. course. Yes, of course. All right. And, uh, but at the same time, you're in a, are you in a master's program at Howard? Like, what was the second degree? It was a master's. It was a master's degree in counseling. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, I was in my master's program. I graduated and then after like a couple months after that is when I found out that I was pregnant with Deuce. His, he's also Bradshaw. We call him Deuce. I call him Deuce um, because he's the second. And, um, and so I was young. I mean, at this point, I'm 26 years old. I, um, I'm about to have two children. I had two children at 26. Uh, I, I was still in the military because uh, because of the political reasons around the war and OIF. I was in the reserves, so I was local, but I was counseling with the military and and leading command, right? And which means I was in charge of soldiers. And then I was also um, in in my starting my counseling career and uh, and yeah. So I thought I knew. You know, at the time it was just do what you're supposed to do and everything else is going to fall in place. And I, and I still do that. And I 100% enjoyed life, but what I'm starting to process now and try to work on is enjoying life a little bit more because for me at the time it was, you know, raise the children, um, get the career, take care, take care of the soldiers, you know, do all the things that you need to do. In the, midst of, in the midst of all of that, also, I, um, 
Bradshaw and I broke up. And so uh, my son was only a few months when we made that decision. And so that was a transition time. And for people who have kids that are listening, you know, that's probably not the most ideal time to have an additional transition, but it was. And um, with a lot of different factors, I experienced postpartum depression, which I talk about quite openly because I believe that more women should talk about it. So that next year, 2007, was one of the um, hardest and darkest years of my adult life. I had a similar year, 2012, that was extremely dark, um, not related to postpartum depression, but related to a series of events that that happened and it, it was really sad and, and disturbing for me. Luckily for me, I was a therapist, so I knew all the signs, both in 2007 and in 2012. I knew the signs of postpartum depression or uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and so I was able to get the support that I needed, but those two years were really tough for me. I know we didn't skip to 2012. No, no that's, that's okay. I, I, I want to talk about your decision because I didn't, so what was your bachelor's degree in? What, is, what did you get a bachelor's in? My bachelor's degree is in administration of justice. I thought that I was going to be a forensic psychologist. You want to hear a funny story real quick? Yeah, 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 go ahead. All right. So I'm growing up in, in Los Angeles, California during the 80s, right? And there's this guy out there who is a serial killer. I think his name is Richard Ramirez, right? And he's out here in LA. He's just killing people, you know, being ridiculous, right? Because I was eight and I kept hearing on the news that he was a serial killer, I, um, I, didn't, I didn't really know what that meant, right? So here I am in my home. Um, my mom is not, she's not completely, you know, she's not sober at this time. And all of a sudden I'm eating like, um, I'm eating all these random things for breakfast, right? Before I go to school and I won't sit by the windows and all of this kind of stuff. And so she notices, um, like, what is wrong with you? Why, why are you doing these weird behaviors? And I was like, there's a serial killer who kills people who eat cereal. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like, girl, what? You crazy, right? Yeah. And then that's when I learned the difference between cereal, like Frosted Flakes, and cereal, right. like a series of actions. Um, and so I, then I became interested and I'd always been interested in how people's minds work, but I thought that I wanted to do it more from the um, forensic side, right? Because I was right. interested in, um, in crime work because of how I grew up. There were lots of crime in my neighborhood, but there were also people who wasn't participating or weren't participating in crime. So I was curious about how people made those decisions. So I've always been curious about the mind and decision-making and thoughts mm -hmm. and feelings. Um, and so my bachelor's degree was in administration of justice, but I did a work study program, um, at some point in my schooling, I think just because not because it was required for like my financial aid. Cause I was on our, I had an ROTC scholarship at that point, but, um, I ended up in a school with this little guy who was just learning how to spell his name. And he, um, he was seven and he attributed his growth to his counselor, to his school counselor, because she had taught him how to calm down and how to use his words and how to mm. focus. And that was um, transformative for me. And so I finished out my degree in administration of justice, but knowing that I wanted to get a graduate degree in counseling. And then in the midst of all of that, I got pregnant, I bought a house, you know, I took a year off, 
I did my military um, officer basic course, which is a number of months. And in that one year, I did all those things. And then I returned the following year um, to campus to, to start my program as a counselor. And that started in 2003, yeah, uh, 2000, 2002, uh, 2003, 2003 is when I started my program. Okay, but while you're going through that program, like you said, you, you, uh, you gave birth then. Yeah. And so when you graduated in 2006? I did. It took me a few years to get through the program. Um, the program is designed either for two-year track or three-year track, but I was a mother and yeah. I was working um, two jobs. I had my military job as a, um, an officer and I also was working for the university. And so uh, I, I did the three-year track and I graduated in 2006. And, and see, at, at this time period, like, that's why I, I prefaced with, like, you were the youngest that I would know, both of you, you know, homeowners, um, like you said, you, so you had just, you know, uh, Alyssa's now born, um, and, and now you're pregnant with, with number two, uh, mm-hmm. as of 2006, right? I, I, I want to yeah. know something about, my, something about mindset, something... There, there is something about a focus and a mindset and a discipline there yeah. that, that, that people are missing because there are a lot of excuses in your way. If I'm, if I'm putting it together all right, there's a lot of excuses where you just never continue. So can you talk yeah. about like what your focus was or where your mind was at at the time? You know, I, I talk to people about this all the time and you would think that after having lived it for so many years I would have like one clear answer and I never do because there were so many additional factors um and I'm not here to be like preachy preachy or anything like that I'm actually you know um my my religion is not one that is is common right I, I recognize that but my belief in God is unwavering I have God I did my meditation this morning and I was thanking God just for always being there with me. I, my earliest childhood experiences, um, when I was like four and five, my mom was out on the streets doing what she does to get what she needed, right? What she thought she needed at the time. And I was an only child. And so it was just me and God in that house, right? And it was God showing me things and and talking to me about things. And at four, I didn't know what that was. I thought it was, you know, my imagination, or I thought it was like, I, I don't even know if I called it imagination, right? I, I, I just didn't know, but I, I felt comfort all the time. So when people are like, how did you live through that? Because the other crazy sad thing about my childhood is that because it was the 80s and it was the crack epidemic um, and it was the LA, it was a lot of gun violence. And so oftentimes we couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep in my bed because a bullet can't, a bullet will go through the window and kill people. So, and that's what was happening in our neighborhood. So I slept in the bathtub because a bullet can't penetrate the porcelain of a bath a bathtub. Um, and so I, that was, that's where I slept, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I never felt sad about it or I never felt alone. Like people are like, you, oh my God, and they have so much pity for me. And I hate when people have pity for me. Um, yeah. But it was, so, so if I could live through that, if I could live through, you know, I was, I was a young child when um, one of my friends died by 
because a police officer was chasing a criminal and um, and pushed my friend into the sidewalk and my are on the sidewalk. My friend hit their head and they bled out right there. And so, and I was a kid, you know what I mean? And, um, and I experienced a lot of stuff. So my resilience was extremely high even before I came to Howard. So when I made the decision to have my daughter, um, because I'm a very decisive person, I'm probably more um, logically driven than emotionally driven, um, and we don't have to tell all we don't have to tell all the people about all the emotional places you've done seen me because it is. <laughs> but uh, I am so obstacles to me were stepping stones. Um, they weren't things to slow me down. They weren't, uh, they were hurdles. They weren't walls. You know what I mean? Like with a hurdle and a runner, you see, you see the hurdle coming, you, you know, rev up your body, you increase your speed, you move all of what you can, you use all of your resources, which is your different muscles in your body and you jump over the hurdle, right? Mm. And then maybe you slow down for a second after the hurdle and then you pick back up again. So um, that was my life. So I don't, I, even today, you know, I, I own this beautiful business and I do all of these wonderful things in the community and I still experience obstacles. But um, I think what makes me different is that I, I immediately think, how is this a learning lesson as opposed to how is, how is this a deterrent? Okay. All right. And, and I want to, and I want to give you uh, some, cause you may not know, you know, uh, people, people uh, are, are the way they are. And I, I think you've touched on it. Your, your father kind of knew you were very opinionated. You're very strong. Uh, but how that came off to me is that you actually didn't give a fuck. And excuse, <laughs> that, excuse, excuse the, <laughs> the language, but that's, you know, honestly, if I'm being real, like it, if, if, I, if I ever talked about you to other people, I'm like, oh yeah, she doesn't give a fuck. So she's her most authentic self. And you're either going to accept that or you're going to tell her to kick rocks. And if you tell her to kick rocks, if you tell her to kick rocks, she might come back at you. I'm going to pick up that rock and I'm going to throw it at you because that's where the emotions came in. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it. So, so I want to I say all that to say um, you talked about 2012 being a, a really rough year for you. Is, isn't, is, was that the year you decided to go for your Ph.D.? Because you had a whole lot of letters. I know there were some letters going on. My wife was trying to explain this to me in, in the counseling world. And she was like, yeah, she got PLMOPQ, you know, DTH. And I was like, okay, so when you, uh, uh, there were letters, but you already had that, like you had like some, some success there. Was 2012 when you decided to do the PhD program? <laughs> this whole thing is just making me laugh. Um, and shout out to your wife. Amber knows I love her. I love her to life. And, um, and the babies too, my little guy babies. Um, I made the decision to get my doctorate the year I started school. So 2015. So what happened was um, between 2006, when I graduated, and 2015, I was living life, like you said. You know, I had acquired a new, another property, and right. um, my kids were getting big. I was, you know, feeling financially free and comfortable with um, with my income. 
um, uh, I was teaching at a university because at that time we could teach at the at the graduate level in our program. Right now, it's difficult to find a teaching degree without a doctorate, but at the time we were able to teach at the university level. So I was teaching at a university level. I had started the business um, in 2013, and uh, and I was uh, just living life. I was comfortable. But what happened was uh, a couple people at these really instrumental times kept saying, "You need to, you need to get your doctorate, right?" And I'm a nerd, so school is not a turnoff for me. But I was like, "What's the point, right?" Because. I'm gonna acquire more student loan debt. I'm gonna compromise my kids and their comfort. Um, you know, all these other elements. So I was like, what's the point? But then um, my mentor, my dean at Trinity was like, you need to get a doctor. She's a black woman. And she's like, we need more black doctors in the counseling field. And I was like, okay, Slim, you know, we good. And then um, one of my friends, uh, and I were having a conversation. She was in the middle of getting her doctor, and she was like, you know, Linnell, I really think you need to get your doctor. And I was like, ah, Slim, you know, mm, we good. Like, we don't have to talk about that. And there was a couple of people that said this in a matter of about two weeks. And at one moment, like I said, my relationship with, with God is really strong. And so at one point, uh, I realized that God was using other people to talk to me because he had very well told me that I needed to go get a doctorate and I wasn't listening. So then that's when other people get, got involved in the process and these signs came. So in January, 2015, I um, decided to apply for the program with only two weeks left uh, before the application deadline ended. So I hurried up and I applied for the program. I hit up some of my folks that I know because like you said, I'm super authentic people either 100% love me or, you know, maybe they want some distance at different points, right? Um, and so when it came time to get recommendation letters, I pulled from a few people and they wrote those recommendation letters in like a day, right? Right. I submitted the application uh, and then some, I got my, um, I got access to the interview and everything like that. And then on the day of the interview, my great grandmother transitioned and she became, instead of being a guide in the flesh, she became a guide in the spirit. And so I was, that morning I woke up to my dad calling me and telling me that his grandmother passed and I still had to go to this interview because true to my form, those become um, obstacles, uh, hurdles, not walls, right? And so I went into my interview and I, she had just transitioned, so a fresh ancestor, and I asked for whatever energy she had to give me in that transition time to grant me um, the words to push through the grief. And then I left that interview, and I'm, I'm emotional thinking about it right now, and then I left that interview and I cried. I sat in my car and I cried because I couldn't 100% be um, I couldn't want, I, I needed to grieve, but I had to also perform, right? Right, right. And so she transitioned in about a week or two after the interview, I got the acceptance letter to attend Marymount uh, University and get my doctorate. And uh, I started my program there and I set history in, in that university as well because I earned my doctorate in two, uh, a little over two and a half years, which is um, strikingly abnormal 
I wrote a dissertation in um, uh, less than nine months. And, and it came because where, where that additional drive came from is that we had to take our comprehensive exams the, in that summer of 2017. And um, I don't fail, Joey. I don't know failure. That's not my experience. Right. He turned and told me that I failed my comprehensive exam because I didn't add in enough references. And part of the reason I didn't add in enough references is because I had been living the counselor life for a number of years. By that point, I had been a counselor for um, 11 calendar years and 13, uh, close to 13 school years. And so I, I wrote from knowledge and experience and also research, but I didn't include enough references. So they told me I failed. Wow. So I say, you know what? It's all right, though, Slim. And so I went ahead. I did what I had to do again. I, I um, finished my, uh, I ended up passing my comps about a month later, my comprehensive exams about a month later. And I was determined to be the first person in my cohort to finish the program. And I the first person in my cohort. I even surpassed the cohort that was in front of me. Um, so I, got, I finished before them. And I was, they, I was chosen to give our commencement speech. So I was our um, valedictorian for our program as well. Wow. So that's how failure doesn't, obstacles are stepping stones. They're not deterrents. And so I, I think I touched on uh, the, the strength there um, that your father saw in, in, in the beginning uh, yeah. from, from it all. There, there's something that that I that I want to talk about before we we close out. Um, just um, I I saw something on your Instagram page. Uh, it's got to be maybe two weeks ago, maybe maybe last week, maybe early. I don't know. Yeah. But but it it struck a chord with me because it said uh, you wanted to talk about your sexuality. You were going to do a live call about your sexuality, right? Yeah. And, and there's something there, and I'm leaving that as for you to fill in but it resonated with me because there's been so many people and i and i'm taking it to a place that that uh you, you know some people may roll their eyes but I, you know i don't care I, I need to get on a level playing field with you so there's some people that would say hey when i'm when i'm growing up hey joe you you speak so well you know you you talk uh so well you know but but i've always been black and and they wouldn't say that you know and I thought that was special. Like, I really, I really held on to that. Like, you know, that was something that I, that I prided myself. In. And then I come to say, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Am I, am I not supposed to? Yeah. And, and, I, and I flipped it around. And, 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 in, and in 2020, you know, when you find out that that world that you were fitting in, uh, you didn't fit in. Yeah. I resonated with something on your, face, uh, on your Instagram page because you said that because of the sexuality, when you come out that way, you're neither this nor that. Yeah, you could be unaccepted on both sides, and yeah. I, and I'll let you take it over from here. Uh, what exactly did I see? Yeah, so I um I'm at a place in my career where I, I I get to talk all the time, and I get to talk about all of my experiences. Right, I had a hysterectomy eight weeks ago, and I did a whole a whole series of of talking about my hysterectomy. Right, at 39 years old, and I get to talk about being a parent, and I get to talk about being a graduate of Howard, and, and I get to talk about everything that is extremely vulnerable 
um, but somebody needs to hear it. And somebody needs to hear it because I remember being in those moments where I didn't know something, right? And I didn't know where to turn or how to turn, right? Like I said, there's women out here suffering with women's health issues and don't know. So I was like, let me go in and talk about this hysterectomy. There's women out here, you know, trying to parent their children in different ways, you know, than what our parents did. Because what our parents did is that they parented us in the way that they knew how to parent us. It, it isn't that they intentionally, most of our parents didn't intentionally do damage, right? Like they just did it because it was what was done to them and they thought it was the right way. And here we are trying to do something different. Um, and so my goal is like, like on my Instagram pages is, is that I'm living life and I'm living it out loud, right? So whatever my life experiences are, I'm 100% wanting to share because somebody needs to hear it. So when I was a kid, I was, um, I was probably like seven Seven, seven, eight years old. Eighty. I don't know what it was about. Eight, somewhere between eighty-seven and eighty-nine, my life was just changing, right? But at somewhere around then, um, I knew that I liked little boys. I was like, yeah, I like little boys. You know, um, we were in LA, and so our little boy names were probably uh, creative. You know, like a like a Linnell. Linnell is a creative name. Um, but I knew I liked little boys. But around that time. I also realized I like little girls. So what was the name of that song? Um, the Kissing Game. You remember that song? I like the yes, way yes. kiss me when we're playing. The I was thinking about a girl. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so, I, so I was like, am I supposed to be thinking about a girl? Shortly after that, because I didn't have any role models, later I found out, I realized that one of my aunts indeed was a lesbian or bisexual. Um, I don't, I think, I, I think she probably, now in her older age, would probably identify more as a lesbian. Um, but I didn't find all of that out until later. So I didn't know what all of this meant, right? I didn't, I didn't have a, a reference point because nobody was talking about it. There was not shown in books, not on TV, you know, watching the cartoons and it's only girls kissing boys. And I'm like, oh, something must be wrong because there's no girl kissing a girl or there's no boy kissing a boy. So maybe what I'm thinking and feeling is not right. Mm. Um, and so I went through middle school crushing on girls, crushing on boys. I went through high school, crushing on girls, crushing on boys. Um, for those who have their young kids around, I, I'll, I'll choose not to be explicit, but I had experiences, right? And I had a, and, and Joey, I enjoyed both experiences. It wasn't right. that one experience was greater than the other experience. It was, they were the same to me. Um, but only a and so a few, I would talk to a few people about it, people who I felt really understood me and loved me and would not condemn me. And that's the sad thing about sexuality is that you can't just be you. Like even when you come out, it has to be all these additional factors in place, right? Because otherwise it's the, the issue around rejection and as humans, born of human, right? So our first contact was in the womb with another person. Our first contact was hearing a heartbeat of another person. We are designed to live with another person or in community with, a, with other people. 
So rejection is actually one of those most complicated emotions that we have um, and the kinds that throw people off tremendously. Because of that, I was afraid to say a, a lot to a lot of people. So I was definitely in the closet for a number of years um, and only my closest people knew about my sexuality. Um, got a, a, you know, like we talked about earlier with your um, cousin, he was my friend before he was my my partner, before he was my children's father, right? Like, and so he knew and was always okay and 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 giving in that way. And then like closest friends knew and were okay and giving. But still there was this shame that came with it because where do we fit in? And luckily I live in DC where there's much a much greater place to fit in, but that's not universal um, across the, that's not national or, or universal. Right. So in 2013, just recently, 2013, um, I was like, I'm tired. You know what I'm saying? Like. I'm tired of living in the closet. I'm tired of like doing these things off to the side. I'm tired of like falling for people or people falling for me and we have to like hide that because it's gonna make other people uncomfortable or I'm gonna have to explain things. And, and so as much of an open and authentic person that I am, that was the only area of my life where I was not powerful where I was not, and, and and let me retract the word powerful because for folks that are listening and still in the closet, you're not, you're not powerless. You just don't know where your power is just yet. And you have to assess where the risks are. So for me, I was tired of like living unauthentically like that. Um, so, and I was dating somebody who was uh, perfect for me in that transition time. She's not, She's not who I'm married to now. I, you know, I'm with my wife and I love her, but um, she was a great person who, who would help me transition out of the process, out of the closet, because there's a whole process. You don't just make an announcement that you're um, bisexual or make an announcement that you're gay or lesbian. There's a process that comes along with that. You have to navigate the world a little differently. You know, you got to decide what you want to say and how you want to say it and to whom. And so in that year, I decided that I was going to come out and I came out as a bisexual woman, very much comfortable about it. Um, and then I started realizing that bisexual people were not, or excuse me, gay and lesbian people were not 100% comfortable with me being bisexual because there's this this term called passing privilege. And it's a term that we use in the black community a lot when people are are able, are, are willing to pass for white, right? And they do it to have an easier life or, you know, economic growth or whatever the case may be. And some families really promoted passing and for some families it wasn't the case. And, and in the community, I had passing privilege because I show up in the world um, very feminine in presentation. And so, um, and so the thought of being bisexual meant that I could eventually abandon the, the community that I had developed, the, the village that I had connect, connected with. And that makes everybody uncomfortable. So then I started feeling, realizing that using the term bisexual was causing more comfort or discomfort than comfort. 
And so I kind of retreated and went back into the closet, right? And so I started calling myself a lesbian. Um, and I started, you know, really advocating for these lesbian experiences, which is great. And those experiences are great. Um, but I'm not a lesbian. I'm bisexual. And the, what makes it complicated for people is because I'm married to my wife. And I 100% love and adore my wife and respect my wife and will forever be um, committed to her and her committed to me. Uh, and so in action, in presentation, we look like a bisexual, or excuse me, a, a, a lesbian couple, but in my identity, I'm bisexual. And so there takes a lot to have to explain that to people at times because you know it gives, it gives insecurity to the fact that I could cheat on my wife with a guy. But you know, if people are gonna cheat, they're gonna cheat regardless. It doesn't matter who they're gonna cheat with. But that creates insecurity within the community. So what ends up happening is that, you know, we're marginalized, uh, bisexual people are marginalizing in uh, straight communities because we have this one half element of ourselves that um, are drawn to the same sex, that are attracted to the same sex. And, and sexuality is based off of um, identity and it's based off of action um, and attraction. So it, you don't, you're not, in the community, you're not of that if you don't have all three. And sometimes people think that just because somebody's behavior is gay, and I'm using quotations, but just because their behavior is gay means that they're gay, but that may not always be the case. Anyhow, um, I, I decided uh, maybe earlier this year or last year that I was gonna start talking very openly about being a bisexual woman because um, because more people needed to hear about it. More people needed to understand the, the complexities of this identity and the fact that we are often told to be, we're often forced, um, forced, we're often forced to be in a closet. We're either in the gay closet or we're in the attraction to the opposite sex closet. Um, and our closet, has one door, right? Like there's one way in and there's one way out. And I, for a number of years, have made the decision to, the emotional decision to retreat and go back in the closet and it was not good. You know, my wife knew beforehand that I identified as bisexual, so I didn't deceive her. And I think it's important that we do not deceive people. So for people who are bisexual, let your partners know that you are attracted to both, both genders. Right. Um, but, but I recognize what I did to myself. And I say, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm all coming right. all the way out again. So here we are in 2020 and I'm coming out again. Okay. And, and, and so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about 2020 because to me, it seems like, and, and maybe I'm being insensitive due to my ignorance and you can fill me in on that. I know you won't hesitate, but I'm about <laughs> to say that to me, you know, uh, a young lady, you know, 15, 16, uh, who, who, is, who might be ashamed of the feelings, or a young man, 15, 16, uh, in 2020, has an easier time. It, it's, it's popularized. It's almost commercialized. It's, it's almost celebrated in the fact that, you, sh you know, pushing you toward that. Like, you should be out, and it's very accepted, and everything's okay. And 
you know, it's easier for you to do it in 2020 than it would be for me to do it in 1990? Uh, there's some factors that, that are in consideration with that. Okay. One of the, two of the primary factors being the region of the country that you're in. So in the South, uh, although Atlanta is celebrated for its, um, for its uh, inclusion of LGBTQ people, the South is still very, very conservative around sexuality. So even many of my friends or people that I know that are in this area, um, they, they are, um, they've come to DC so that they could fully be themselves. I still have friends who are from um, different parts of the, the US or even from outside of the US who are not open with their families and they're 40 years old or in their late 30s and they still haven't come out. So um, part, of, part of it depends on where you grew up and, and, and that element is related to safety, physical safety, because there's many parts of the world where people are still dying. You know, Florida is, unfortunately infamous for killing um, people in the LGBTQ community, the people in Florida, uh, the, it, because the ignorance is still very present um, and not to be disrespectful to any Floridian, but um, the, the, they're just not as liberal with, with that. I did a training a couple years ago with the National Board of Certified Counselors in North Carolina. They're based out of North Carolina. And I was still teaching terms like bisexuality, um, teaching terms about the difference between gender and gender uh, and sexual uh, orientation, right? Because they're not the same. So one factor has to do with where we grew up and where we live for physical safety. And then emotional safety um, has a lot to do with our family of origin. So if, like I mentioned before, we're emotionally connected based off of even conception, right? Like, um, and so from early on, there takes two bodies that kind of conjoin to create a life. So we're, we're bred out of, out of humans, we're bred out of life, we're bred out of connection. Uh, and so the, the risk of losing family or losing safety or losing security is so high that it keeps people in the closet. Like I mentioned, here I am nearly 40 and, um, and, still, and still found myself in what is this, um, um, this uh, secondary form of like the closet, right? Like, right, right. Why, why do I need the family support? Why do I need the community support? Why do I need these things uh, when I'm so self-sustainable, right? But that's an emotional part of it. And so, yes, there are elements of which it is far physically safer and emotionally safer to come out of the closet, but that's also dependent on your parents, their values, possibly their religion, their feelings around acceptance or their feelings around shame. Because when you come out, honey, you, uh, you change your family. You don't, you don't just change yourself. You now become the, you know, the gay cousin or the bisexual auntie. You know what I'm saying? Like you are now labeled by your sexuality. We never say, that's my straight cousin, but we always say, you know, that's my gay cousin. So uh, you change the family dynamics. And so depending on your family, and where you are, um, you, it may be easier to come out or, or you may stay in the closet. Um, you may stay in the closet. 
right. And and and, and I look, I don't want to harp on this and 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 it's fine. Press I want to talk about it. Let's yeah. talk. It, bec- but I feel like this is where the education is. You know, like uh we need to we need to say it because you talked you touched on uh 2013 and I believe that's your Jesus year for you, right? It was, it was so it was. I, I remember you talking to me about my Jesus year, like what I'm gonna do with it all. Yeah. That. And and it's ironic that you would say that you would you would make that decision in your Jesus year because you know a lot Christians would tell you that Jesus doesn't accept that right yeah and that that ooh yeah uh, when I was seventeen and, and you know and and I was like you know doing the youth pastor thing I'm 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 in the church heavy they they never accepted it was never yeah. acceptance it was like going to hell burning flames this is the yeah night. you don't do that here. And, and, you know, churches have become better about that. But you said you have a, a relationship with God. You have a connection yeah. with God. Yeah. Uh, explain to me in your mind how that works and you having to go through so many things. Like hearing that, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it you know, from yeah. any church service, right? So, oh, so yeah. how does that work? <laughs> how, how does that work in your mind? Oh, my God. I should, I should have told you to send me the questions beforehand so I could prepare. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That, that, that resonated with me because you said you, 2013, and I'm like, I'm doing the math. I'm like, that's your Jesus year. That's so, my Jesus but I, year. But I never asked you how you unpack, you know, your relationship with God and then yeah. all your yeah. life being told that he wasn't accepting it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know um, – there, there's so much, there's so much with that. So 2013 is when I started to um, slowly make this declaration, right? 2014 is when I made it public. I, I, I went hardcore. I went hard in the paint. I don't know if people still say that, but like I said, I'm almost 40, right? So I went hard in the paint and I put that joint on Facebook. <laughs> I was like, this is my life, you know? Uh, but anyhow, pertaining to the religion, um, there's two elements. One, religion matters to me because it is a, um, a structure. Mm-hmm. It is practices. Um, it is an element of routine. And in all those things, humans thrive around elements of safety, right? So religion is predictable, right? You know, you're going to go to church on Sunday. You're going to talk from this book. Not, no, no matter that there's 85,000 religious books in the world, we're talking from one particular book and that it was written in one particular region of the world, you know, at one particular period of time. And we have based our entire lives on this one book and no disrespect right. to Christianity at all, but it, it, it can be very limiting in perspective as well. Um, and so I was hard for you. I don't know if you remember, but I was hard in church. You know, I was an usher and I was in the women's ministry and I was in the Bible study ministry and I was doing children's church and all of that mattered to me. But there was also these elements of which I, I know what my purpose is in life. I was blessed. Remember I said I was a little kid and God was telling me, you know, God was comforting me and I just couldn't understand. I just couldn't understand why God chose me to break these cycles, to live this beautiful life, to give birth to these 
wonderful, phenomenal kids. My kids are amazing kids. And then send me to hell. Like I just couldn't get it, right? I was like, ah, we need to explore this a little bit more, right? Um, and then I started doing some research. I've, I started doing some research around Christianity and around um, the big organized religions because there's lots of organized religions around the world, but um, because of political and economic reasons, which is a whole nother talk with you, but because of political and economic reasons, things only get published when they're politically appropriate, even if they seem ap politically opposing because we always need some level of debate, right? And so even when the Bible was created, it didn't add elements of sexuality to it because the world kept going through these famines where there were these deaths and they needed procreation. And so procreation happens through, of course, you know, we all know how it happens. And right, so right. that doesn't negate that there were people in the LGBTQ community. It just meant that it didn't show up in our books and for various reasons. Um, and so when I started doing a lot more research and, and finding information that felt very much aligned with my experiences, I knew that indeed God not, had not abandoned me. God did not make me a researcher for me to not research, right? So it made sense that I went to research. God did not create me to be a speaker if he did not want me to speak about things and to talk about things. And so I started asking questions of people and started inquiring in different ways. Um, and I've always been more connected to God than to the religion because I moved around a lot because of my mom's substance use disorder and moved around a lot because of my dad's military career. I was never connected to a church in particular, but more so how they made me feel and my connection to God and the ease to God. So when I made the decision to leave the church because it was no longer positive for me to constantly hear negative messages, just like I tell black people, don't always watch the news because sometimes the news is gonna show you something you don't wanna see or you don't wanna hear and it's gonna throw you off mentally and emotionally. The same goes with church. And so at that time, I made the decision to leave the church because the messages that were being fed actually conflicted with my spirit. The old church people say that I was being convicted Mm -hmm. um, but I was saying that I'm being more spiritually conflicted um, because I'm in a place that's not designed for me. So I made the decision to leave the church um, also because my children were a part of the church and I knew at some point I was going to come out and I didn't need them to um, condemn me too, right? Because I was already going to go through a process of, of condemna condemnation from others um, and I didn't need it at home with the kids. I told uh, the kid's father what was kind of going on and, you know, he has his own thoughts and positions and views of which I um, understand and respect and agree to some degree with, but he always supported me as a person. And so then it became a process of how, how is this kind of coming out to the world? Um, and so my relationship with God is probably even stronger now that I don't go to church because I have everything I, many things I learn, I have to be learning on purpose 
and they don't just come from a sermon. It may come from a book that I read that sparks something in my soul and in my spirit. It may come from something that I watch that sparks something in my spirit. I believe that books are drawn to us just like we're drawn to them. And so if I happen to be, there's millions, gazillions of books in the world, but if I'm reading a book, I'm always thinking, what is the spiritual lesson behind this book? Because it, it means something that I'm reading this book at this time of my life. Um, and so my messages from God come from God. I also am um, starting uh, and for a number of years have been practicing Ifa. And so my messages also come from my Orishas. They also come from my ancestors who I've always been connected to. Um, they come from my children and, and books and things like that. And those are the ways that I feel connected. I just have to be open and sensitive to where God is trying to uh, create a message that I didn't hear directly when he or she said it the first time. Yeah. Okay. That was a long lesson. No, no, I, I, I expected it. I, I wanted, I wanted the education to be there and, and I knew it wasn't like something easy that you can respond to in a couple sentences because um to be honest it's it's just i, I mean for you for, for you i always came to you because i'm gonna get exactly uh i'm, I'm not gonna get any sugar in in my kool-aid uh what yeah. you're gonna give me back is is the honest truth and yeah and that's often difficult and like you said you know nothing happens when you're comfortable no change no. happens in that so, no. so I appreciate the response. I appreciate the time, um, and and I hope that you can you can come back because there's so much more to you that yeah. I didn't get to <laughs> um, that I have the the pleasure of knowing. But I, I want the education to be there because I think there's so much that you can um, you 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 can educate in a lot of areas in life uh, so, and, and, that, and that's what I'm after I'm after that education so uh, thank you yeah. for your time this has yeah. been Sipping Slow with Joe Dr. Plumber Marcano that's thank me very very much <laughs> alright All right. you know it have I a good it. evening good evening <laughs>